0: We find ourselves in a situation, the world that we live in, being not ordinary citizens, but citizen-soldiers. God has called us to be a form of a militia, so to speak, because we represent the kingdom of God. We'll be a part of this world for a period of time called our life, and we'll serve here faithfully. We'll work. We'll obey the laws, we'll pay our taxes, we'll be good neighbors. But we are here to assimilate the gospel to those around about us and to grow up a people for His name, to build up His kingdom. That's what we're about. As Christians, we stay focused on that and we never leave that. But the reality is, the deeper we go into the world that we live in and the farther we move away from God in this world, and we've moved a great distance just in the last few years, We understand the importance of the gospel. You see, as the world grows darker, the light of the gospel shines more brightly. There is not a confusion between the kingdom of God and the kingdom of evil. We see the difference and we understand that. But I want you to understand today that every one of us is in a spiritual conflict, whether we like it or not. We're in this world... And people are dividing very quickly. The question is whether or not we are good soldiers or bad soldiers. That really is not the question. It's are we willing to stand for the kingdom of God and serve? Then we are a soldier of the cross. The Christian life is a series of struggles. We have a private struggle as we grow day by day closer to Him. We struggle with temptation and sins from the past and trying to overcome the difficulties in life. But here's the shocker. Everyone is involved in the struggle we're going through, the conflict that we're dealing with. Everyone. Whether they're part of the kingdom of God or they're just drifting through this world. We are here not only to grow ourselves up and mature in Christ, we are here to snatch away those who are going to perish And we do that by building relationships with them. I can remember as a young man in the church that I grew up in, it was a a Baptist church, but a little bit different than this, and they would take us out at a very early age to witness to people. Now, I don't know about you, but when I was seven and eight years old, I didn't want to witness to a 45-year-old construction worker on the side of the sidewalk, but I did in Atlanta, Georgia. And it's amazing how they would listen to us. But it made me understand this. What motivates you to share your faith is the most important thing in all the world. Until you realize that people are going to perish and go to a real place called hell without Jesus Christ. They're not simply going to just die and disappear. God placed within us the most remarkable creation of all of his creations. And that is the human soul or spirit. It lives forever, somewhere And He made us in His image to have fellowship with Him and to worship Him, to be a reflection of His Son toward Him, and that draws Him closer to us. But We forget about that sometimes, and we forget about the raging situation that we're in. For many years, the church wanted to be sort of like uh, the show that I used to love to watch as a kid, F Troop. Do any of y'all remember that? didn't have the greatest script in the world and had probably some of the worst characters I could imagine, but it was funny and and it gave a very realistic picture of how some Christians behave. Some Christians feel like the world is so dirty and so nasty and so horrible that they pull back in their fort, shut the doors, and pretend no one else is out there. They're just trying to defend their little space of terra firma, that nobody will come into that space. Now here's the problem you're a parent of children, and they're in that fort, you can protect them for only so long. The time will come, and just like it did in my life, when I left the fort and went out into the world. You have to know what's ahead of you to know how to be prepared to do battle. And many young people left the fort of their home. They went out into a world that absolutely swallowed them up. Morally and ethically, in every other way, because they were not taught what the world was about. But not only that, they never got to understand fully the role that they play as a Christian toward the world. You see, if you're a cowboy inside the fort and the Indians are on the outside, you know who your enemy is. But you see, the world is not our enemy. Never has been, never will be. We as Christians are to go and rescue people out of that world, one by one. Our type of evangelism is very simple. It's called lifestyle evangelism. It's where we go, where we work, where we play, where we shop, wherever we are. We ask God to give us someone that we can reach and plant a seed in their life. Yeah, we're kind of like Johnny Appleseed, just wherever we go, we drop those seeds and the seeds are to be dropped in the hearts of people, but with wisdom and prayer in back of that. Because that's how we build the church and that's how we grow it. And I'll tell you this, you can, you can fight the devil all you want and you can fight the world and the mess that it's in and you can criticize it and go after it and, and attack it, but the reality is that's not what we're called to do. The world is going to go in one direction. It's going to continue to spiral downward. But We're to call the people away from this world. I would love to be able to tell you that the day will come that we will be able to Christianize the whole world and, 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 and reach them, but we're never told to do that. We're told to evangelize the world and allow the Holy Spirit to bring forth the fruit once we plant the seeds. We forget about that sometimes and we get distracted and we get frustrated with the world and we become angry and and we want to just walk away. But the reality is we're here to serve Him in a mighty way. Now we've got a culture war raging in America today. It's very real. The the roots are, are, are in the things of the Spirit but not the Holy Spirit, the evil spirit, Satan himself and his minions. He's in control. He's leading a lot of people in that direction. You're hearing it over and over and over again. You, you are called evil if you're a Christian. And the day has come that we've returned to the time of Jesus when Christians are persecuted and no one condemns that persecution. But we don't look down, we don't look away, and we certainly don't run from what's before us. You know, when we look back at the origin of our country, we understand this that the the, the Puritans and the Pilgrims came here in the 1600s because they were being persecuted in England. There were other religious groups that came from Europe because they were persecuted. And they came to this country for religious freedom so they could worship as they desire. They were Judeo Christians, they understood God's word, they followed his law. They had a built-in respect for others. Don't be duped into believing that America is not as as, as much a moral world as it should be and therefore we need to accept in every sort of religious belief that is there. Dear friend, there's only one book that teaches the value of human life and love for one another and the desire to come to know your Creator. And that's God's holy word. I've had people tell me, even recently, in the last few few weeks, they say, oh, you know, there are many ways of getting to heaven. I said, I, you can say that all you want. But that's not what God's word says. Jesus made it pretty plain. He was and is and will always be the only way to heaven. And the reason he is is because he purchased that way to heaven. Buddha didn't purchase that way. Absolutely not. He couldn't have. No man, woman, or child can earn it. I've always said it's amazing what Jesus did for us because if a person were able to come into the world and be perfect and live a perfect life and then die a perfect death, the only person they could really save would be themselves. But Jesus did more than that. Jesus died for the sins of every person that will ever live. He died not just to save those who followed Him, but ultimately one day He's going to renew and restore what was fallen in the garden. Creation. The earth will be, will be burned, but it won't be destroyed, and it will be remade, and it will be perfect as God meant for it to be, and, and we'll be a part of that. And God wants us to be a part even now. As soldiers of the cross, we are called to do that in a mighty way. Timothy's call to preach and to be a pastor in Ephesus was confirmed by many, but Paul is putting his stamp of approval on that. Paul is charging him with what he should do and explaining to him what it means to to be a follower of Christ, to be a soldier of the cross. And remember, their idea of a soldier back then was, was the image and the picture of one who is obedient to another. They don't just simply go out and do what they desire, but they are trained, well-trained. So I want to think for a few minutes about three different ideas that are given here by the Apostle Paul. The image of a soldier, the image of an athlete competing in a game, and then the image of a farmer. All three of these are, are wonderful portraits of what we are to be as Christians. And in a dark world that is so broken up, we can stand back in horror and look at what's happening and say, oh my goodness. I only thought that would happen after I was out of this world. But I'm here and it's happening now. No, we don't, we don't have that kind of attitude. What we do is we go forward and we prepare to attack. One of my favorite images is from one of the writings of, of one of the soldiers back in the in the 1880s that was out west when they were trying to go into to uh, very rough territory and claim it for the united states government and there was a time when they had an old colonel that went out and they said he was so aged he could barely stay on top of his horse but he led his little platoon out there and they got out in the middle of, of a desert and suddenly without anything to, to, to warn them about it they were surrounded by about 6,000 Native Americans. And they didn't come with a peace pipe. They were ready to kill. And they said that they looked at the old colonel, and he looked absolutely delighted, and all of those with him were absolutely terrified. And it is said that the last thing he said to them was, as he drew his sword, he said, that's right, men, don't let a one of them get away. Now, I love that attitude. Now, granted, the man did die. But he fought valiantly. He did not give up. He did not get discouraged. He did not walk away. Now here's the good news. The battle has already been won against evil. Satan is a defeated foe. But he still wants to destroy as much as he can destroy. He can't take away your salvation. But he can make you if you allow him. And if you allow him to penetrate your heart and misguide you. He can lead you to live as if you're not saved at all. He can actually use you to fight the kingdom of God. Now, the idea of, of one of us being a traitor to the cross is a terrifying thought, but we can fall into that trap, and we must be careful not to go there. So the first thing I want to think about is what we're expected, what's expected of us, and I would say to begin with, number one, we're called to guard what is being taught. The soldier of the cross understands the boundaries and the parameters with which he is to go out into battle. And we understand what we believe. We understand why we are to go forth and to share with others. I remind you that there is a lot of false teaching in the world today. And some of it is closer to us than we realize People think that if they speak some word that sounds religious that it's of God, and that is simply not true. There's only one standard that we can use to judge what is right and what is wrong, and that's God's Word. People love to to use flowery language and what we call uh, God speak and try to make it sound like God is saying something that He never said in Scripture. Don't listen to that person. That's why it's important for you to read God's Word on a regular basis understand what it says and if you understand that you, when you hear something that doesn't quite fit in God's word you will know immediately that it's false you'll know immediately that that person is taking you to another place remember this God's word never exalts us it exalts Christ and if you're a follower of Christ you're not going to build yourself up you and and Humble meekness will share the truth of the gospel. You'll confess your sins to others. You'll let them know that you're weak and you're frail. But you'll also let them know that you are fighting for Christ and His work. We know it's an uphill battle against evil. We know there are a lot of churches and denominations and belief systems out there that that are taking us 180 degrees away from Christ. But they sound good and they look good and, and they're presented in a sharp way. You know, it's amazing in Scripture it says you you may wage the good warfare fight, but when you engage in battle, engage strongly. And the word strongly there that's used in in, uh, the, the passage doesn't mean your strength. It means God's strength. And that strength comes from knowing what He wants you to do, to not get distracted from it. A soldier will not allow the affairs of life to interfere with his performance and his duty. You won't do that. It's important for us to understand that while we're in this world, we're to be in the world but not of the world. And what that means is we're not to get distracted as we're going down the road. We're not to be drawn into something that is not pleasing to Christ. We're not to get caught up with with the pleasures of this life or... The positions and authorities that people have in this world. Or the possessions that they have that that really... I've often said possessions, we don't possess them, they possess us. They give us responsibility. I mean, ever since that program came out some years ago about hoarders, it frightens me that there are people who believe that somehow there's security and stuff and it's simply not true. During the Great Depression and during the Dust Bowl out in the Midwest and the West, thousands of Americans starved to death, had nothing to eat. And now some people, the children and grandchildren of those folks, are so terrified about the idea of going back to that that they overindulge. And they feel that somehow they can build their own wall of security, and that's simply not true. Our faith and trust has to be in Christ and Christ alone. But secondly, the word that's given here is to an athlete, and I love the image of this because everyone that he's writing to understood about the games and about how an athlete would prepare for the games. We're told that if we are to win, we must obey Christ. We must follow the rules, so to speak. You know, it's it's unusual that, that when you compete for a prize, there are standards in their rules. I walked in one day on... Uh, some folks here in town, not necessarily church members, but some folks, and they were playing a card game. And at the moment that I walked in, they weren't exactly playing the card game. They were fussing over the rules. And finally, one of the people there, who was a very fine lady, reached in her purse, and she said, here is the rule book. And she stated the rules, and suddenly everybody got quiet, and they fell back in line. That's why God's Word matters to us. There's a way that you run the race. There's a standard that you live by. Christ expects it. You know, back in in the day that they're speaking of here, Paul is talking about the athletes that would compete there. They had to have at least ten months of dedicated uh, uh, practice working towards the training they needed. That would diligently prepare them to compete. They had to give that amount of time. And they had to follow the rules. I remember years ago watching on television um, a race, it was greyhounds were racing. And this one greyhound, I don't know if greyhounds have ADHD, but this one did. And he decided to jump over the fence and, and take a shortcut across the, uh, the green center part of the track to get to the other side because what he wanted to do was to be there when that little mechanical rabbit comes running around there and grab it. Well, it was very entertaining and everybody laughed and everything, but guess what? He was totally disqualified. In fact, I don't even know if he ever made it on the track again. Sometimes in life, we f- figure out another way to do things. We think that somehow God's way is not the best way. And we deviate away from what He's told us to do. And it's not entertaining. And it's not productive. Many wonderful people have been sidelined for not following the rules that Christ has given to us. And here's what's sad. When we fall away from the rules and try to cut corners, something terrible happens. Satan intervenes and uses that person as a testimony of the failure of Christianity. One of the most difficult things you'll ever do is try to get someone to come to church who's been hurt or discouraged or attacked by one of those people. They'll say, I'd, I'd love to come to church, but, but you don't know what I've been through. You don't understand. I, I, I've seen it from the inside out, and I know what's going on. And, and I can speak to that truthfully because I've been through that. It happened to me at age 18. There was a horrible fight in the church, a bad fight. It's a business meeting. I've always said that, that business meetings in church are, are either the... They, they should be, and I always have strived to do that here. They should be the dullest time we get together. They should just be a time where we celebrate the great acts of God and the wonderful things, and we should not have a discussion. Back row there is our treasure. And Bruce, I want him to say 98% of what's said in, in that meeting, discussing that, and, and he does something so well. He didn't pay me to do, say this, by the way. He's always uplifting and encouraging of those who are involved in ministry. That's what it should be about. But it should never be anything that distracts from that or divides. The kingdom of God needs to come together. Fighting and disagreeing is not what it's about. Does unity mean that everybody gets along and agrees and everything is right? No. As long as we're involved, there there will be problems. But there's a time and a place to deal with that. My parents were very generous to me and my twin brother growing up. They never beat us in front of church members. But my mother knew how to look over and she'd say, wait till church is over. You know what's amazing? I never fell asleep after that. I was afraid to. She didn't embarrass us, but she dealt with it in an appropriate way at an appropriate time. And and it was horrible because it always happened and we didn't get to eat lunch. God wants us to deal with problems appropriately. And there's a way to do that. Scripture's real funny about that. You know, if, if, if I have a disagreement with Murray, and I say, Murray, you didn't play as well this week as you did last week or whatever. There's a way for me to do that. I go directly to him. And we sit down and talk. That's how you do that. And by the way, I've never heard him play, hit a bad note. Now, Terry's sitting there watching him, and apparently that's why he does such a good job. When your wife is observing, you do it. But if you have a disagreement, if you have a disagreement with me, come and talk to me about it. Don't go tell someone else. Don't get your Sunday school class, you know, focused on that. You come and tell me. That's what Scripture says. And then two people who love God together will resolve that. Because anything else, Satan is going to use in a productive way to destroy the kingdom of God. You see, athletes understood that. They understood the rules and following them. But lastly, I want you to think about this. They use, Paul uses the image of a farmer, which is a powerful image. And, and especially to us here in, in the black belt, we've got a lot of farmers in the church. And I've always said that, that my heart goes out to the farmers because they can do everything right and still go broke. But they continue to do what is right over and over and over and over again. But we must diligently serve if we're to be rewarded. The sixth verse says, The hardworking farmer ought to be the first to receive his share of the crops. The key word here is hardworking. Diligent. Faithful. Never looking away from what is going on. God wants us to be people who continue to give and to do. The picture here we're getting is in three measures. Number one, the diligent soldier has approval from his commander. The diligent athlete wins the prize and the diligent farmer gets the produce. That's the way God wants us to serve in his kingdom. We're to be focused on what we're doing. You've got a friend in school and and you know that they're not going to church or or, or you know they're not a Christian and, and you want to reach that person. You know how you do it? You pray for them and then ask for an avenue to reach them in. That is so important. So important. It matters. Wilkes Chittam sitting up there in the back, Wilkes and our buddies. It touches my heart many times when Wilkes will share a prayer requests with me about somebody he's concerned about that's in his circle of friends. Now, let me tell you something somebody that's going to school. In Selma, Alabama, and studying hard and, and doesn't have a lot of time, we'd give them a pass for not reaching out to others as a Christian. But he finds time to do it. So the next time you want to make an excuse and say, you know, I'd like to invite somebody to church, but, I, well, if I invite them to church, that means I'm going to have to be there every Sunday. You know, that's kind of scary, isn't it? And, and you know, we're getting into the ball season. I might want to stay home and watch a game. Let me tell you something. You need to stop and consider what is the worth of a soul. What is the worth of a soul? You see, that's what God has called us to do. To fight the good fight, to reach out to people, to 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 say, you know, you're my friend. I care about you. And and I appreciate you. I don't say kind things about you, but I also care about your soul. And I want to be on mark with you. I I want you to know that that you you matter to me. I pray for you. And nothing would make me any more proud than for you to come to church with me. We've got to reach people that way. I don't know if any of you all remember the 2004 Olympics, but there was a fellow that competed in the Olympics, Matt Emmons. He was a great guy. He was an accounting major in college and found time to compete. He was a... A four-year member, think about this, for four years he was a member of the University of Alaska rifle team. Now, if there's something you need to know about in Alaska, it's how to shoot a gun. And they're good at that there, and he was great. He was one of the best. In fact, in in the Olympic Games, I'll never forget, he had one more shot, and they said, all you have to do is make a 7.2 out of 10, just 7.2, and you've got the gold. And he knew that. He knew it. He knew that his next shot would be a simple one because he regularly would score 8.6 to 9.3. This was a piece of cake. Put his gun up on the mount, looked at the target, and I mean with four seconds, bam, crack shot, dead in the center. And people very quietly clapped once or twice and stopped because Matt Emmons hit the target next to him, not his target. A mistake that an amateur should make. It was sad. He finished eighth, and he's still alive. Can you imagine? I'm surprised he didn't die with embarrassment. The most horrible thing happened to him that could happen. He got a score of a zero. That never happens in marksmanship. He explained this. He said, I was so focused on getting the target that I wasn't calm enough to make sure it was the right target. doesn't matter how accurate you are. You've got to know where to aim. You've got to know what to go after as a Christian. You've got to know where to fight. Pick your battles. Because there's nothing worse than dying on a hill that you shouldn't have died on. There's nothing worse than going after a situation and standing up and fighting the good fight of faith only to find out that you've been drawn into the fight by the evil one and it's harmed your witness. Dear people, it's important for you to plan carefully what you do. Because Satan is after you. He's after me. And we've got to stand for truth. We can't make church into a social event. We can't just say, oh, you know, I love church and I go there and I feel great and everything's fine. No, we've got to be serious because what we're doing is very, very, very serious. We're touching lives, spiritually speaking, that no one else is accounted to to touch. God's given us, literally, within our power and in our possession the ability to change the eternal destiny of souls as we share God's Word and the Holy Spirit works. Oh, how important that is. Make sure you know where your target is. Let us pray. Father, I thank you so much that a long time ago, Paul spoke to a young man, gave him direction, and everything he said is even true to form today. For we must be careful as we walk out onto the field to compete, the field of life, that we be prepared and postured to know that the world, though it's lost and though the sin of the world seems to be getting darker and darker, yet we are still called to share the gospel and to love those who are broken and battered. We're the only hope they have. We're the only encouragement that they'll receive. And I pray that we will actively reach out to those round about us and let them know that they matter. Father, speak to someone here this morning, someone that is seeking truth and they want to embrace it. And today is the day of salvation for them. Father, there there may be someone here that wants to come and join this church because they understand that, that as you gather together as the body of Christ, there's strength that you draw from one another. And they need that. And Father, there may be someone here that just simply needs someone to pray with them. And I invite you to come forward and give me the opportunity of praying with you. For the Spirit of God has an amazing way to work in the lives of those who are willing to stand up and speak boldly to their Savior about the needs in their own life. Father, speak to someone this morning. And as we sing the the first words of this hymn of invitation... I pray that we would understand that it is you who invite us to continue to focus on our walk with you, even now. And we pray this in your holy name, Lord. Amen.